Welcome to another episode of the Carolyn Glick Middle East News Hour. Um, today, we're going to be talking again about the Netanyahu trial, but we're going to be talking about it from a completely different perspective. Our guest today is Moishik Kovarski, a very old friend of mine. Hey, Moishik. Hi, Colleen. How are you? Hi. So Moishik is uh, he's like a high-tech business executive uh, a wheeler dealer, really smart guy. I've known him for about 20 years. And he's also very active in public affairs just because he's interested and he, and he cares a lot. And uh, Moishik, can you tell us a little bit about how you, what your, how you even began to approach the Netanyahu trial indictments as something that you thought you should be looking into? Well, I was interested in it for a while, but uh, real involvement started about uh, seven months ago when uh, a friend of mine approached me. Uh, actually, it was more like nine months ago, about the time that uh, they started the, the hearings in April. And uh, this friend called me. I knew him from social media. And he said that uh, he found out that one of the items in the appendix, the 315 appendix, which we will discuss later, I assume, uh, he checked it and it's a, a total lie, a total fabrication. So uh, I will detail later what it was, but then he told me that uh, he wants to arrange a project, a bunch of volunteers that will check all the 315 items. And he asked me to join with my capacity as a data organizer, someone who can, uh, manage a lot of uh, <clears throat> information. And uh, we added two more people and we became Project 315. Which, so let uh, me just stop here for a second. So mm -hmm. um, Project 15, Project 315 is the main thing that I wanna talk about with uh, Moshe Kovarski today. But before I do, uh, Moshe wrote an article in an Israeli uh, news website called Mida, which is a very important conservative website in, in Hebrew. So I'm sorry, yeah, uh, I can't send you a leak and then you can read it. But um, what it does is it lays out chronologically the entire way that these, this plot was hatched against Netanyahu beginning almost immediately after the 2015 elections and, and moved progressively until uh, it brought about or became the 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 uh, Israel's legal fraternity, the state prosecutor, the attorney general became uh, the most powerful political actor in Israel, beginning with the uh, first round of the four elections that we experienced from uh, April 2019 through March of 2021, um, and and how it all kind of came about and he refers to it as a coup. And when you go through the chronology, uh, I think he makes a very convincing case. So before we go to the 315 project, which we'll, we'll discuss after this, I, I, you know, Moshe, if you could just, Moshe, if you, if you could just explain how you see this building up for a period of four years from the end, from the, from the aftermath of the 2015 elections until uh, the indictments were, were uh, submitted by the attorney general against Netanyahu in January of uh, 2020, when he was at the White House uh, unrolling the uh, sovereignty plan and the Trump peace plan with uh, President Trump. Right, I actually went further, I went till today because okay. today, today that you can say that they, they, they got their hopefully temporary success uh, with all this coup. 
The title of the article is, uh, is uh, a revolution using judicial and media means, mm -hmm. which is what we believe happened. It's a real sabotage of Israeli democracy. So 2015 is the starting point. And of course, the question was asked to me, was addressed to me uh, shortly after I published it. Why did I start at 2015? Because it, uh, we all know the prosecution of Netanyahu by, by various things started a lot of many years earlier. But I think 215 was a turning point. Well, let me just go back. So what happened was really since uh, Netanyahu's first tenure in office in the 1990s, he's been the subject of, I don't know how many police probes, he and his wife, and then later on uh, his, older, his older son Yair, have been subject to almost continuous investigations of everything from uh, who packed their suitcases, whether they took gifts that were given to the prime minister's uh, office in 1999, going back to his first time, whether his wife uh, was was wrongfully uh, fired, her nanny, when the two boys were little uh, to uh, during uh, recent years, whether she uh, ordered too much takeout food from restaurants instead of using uh, the prime minister's office as cook. Um, and and just on and on. I mean, so it was all of these crazy things. So he the, he and his family have been under the continuous uh, gaze of the legal fraternity of the police, really for over twenty years. And then the question became, you know, why twenty fifteen? What happened in twenty fifteen that was different from nineteen ninety six and seven and eight and nine and nine and two thousand and and forward on. Exactly. So, so 2015, we all remember these elections. When we went into this election, the general feeling in the street was that the, the, the left, the progressive, as we call them, uh, are going to win. Uh, Netanyahu went uh, into this election with uh, kind of a disadvantage. And uh, they fueled the fire. You know, in uh, January 2015, one of the prominent left-wing reporters, Raviv Drucker, published an article with a nasty title, uh, now it's time to talk about the lady, meaning Netanyahu. Oh, Netanyahu. Netanyahu. Mm -hmm. And he unleashed a bunch of uh, smears about her. Uh, there was a, a, a fired uh, janitor that uh, was hailed at the press, Benny Naftali, with all kinds of accusations against them. He was the hero of the left during the election. He was, a, he was sort of the, he was the house, uh, caretaker of the prime minister's uh, residence in Jerusalem. Correct. Mm -hmm. And uh, despite all this, they lost. And uh, there was the also- The left lost. The left lost, yeah. There was a movement, uh, V15, which uh, we know by a Senate hearing later that was uh, partly funded by uh, the State Department. Uh, everybody was against Netanyahu, but he won. And uh, that I think was kind of a, a reality check for the left. They understood that they can attack Netanyahu's family, but people are smarter than that. They're judging him by his achievements and they wanted the prime minister. And they also realized that attacking him for all kinds of uh, minor things like uh, uh, house, housekeeping expenses is not cutting it with the Israeli public. They are looking more into uh, policy issues than they would like them to, uh, the left. So they decided to change direction and to attack Netanyahu personally, to, to find things about him, and to do this on areas which are main mainstays of Israeli policies. And I singled out four items. Uh, one was the communication infrastructure of Israel. 
and that is later to become the 4,000 indictment. We'll talk about it. Uh, the communications infrastructure, that's a lot of the uh, infrastructure for, for internet service in Israel. Telephony, internet, cellular, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, the second item was the, the media market, you know, the mainstream media, and supposedly Netanyahu's ambition to take over the media, while we all know that what he wanted was a, a free market of opinion and uh, to open the media for competition. Uh, the third one was the gas, you know, the gas. Uh, natural gas, Israel's natural, natural gas, gas deposits, right? Right. And they tried to find corruption where there wasn't none. On the contrary, the Netanyahu government did major uh, achievements in gas exploration, natural gas exploration. And the fourth one- And was harvesting. Right. And fourth one was security. They tried to blame him for the submarine deal we did with Germany and all kinds of uh, rubbish accusation. Right. So well, there failed. they were saying that, uh, you know, I mean, here it's, it's important to point out that you know, he, all of these things went against the grain of Israel's elites. And in particular, you know, most notable among those four are the submarines, because for years, the, uh, the ground forces and the air force have been mortally opposed to expanding Israel's naval force as a strategic arm of Israel's uh, military. Uh, the Air Force wants to be the only strategic arm of the military. And so they've historically opposed Israel's acquisition of, hel of submarines. You know, the early, the early submarines that Israel uh, acquired were given as gifts from the Germans to Israel. And so Israel couldn't oppose it, even though the army didn't want them, because um, that, that's, just, uh, that's just sort of an old boys network kind of thing. So since Israel got the acquisition of, of the newest, uh, uh, I don't know, what are they, flotilla of submarines from, from Germany, uh, you got all of these sort of aging generals who have been up in arms and screaming that there has to have been a rat here. And you had all of the heads of the old boys networks in Israel's uh, security brass saying that it was totally a corrupt deal. We should have gotten them from South Korea or we didn't need them at all and so on and so forth. And this uh, this thing has been uh, investigated, the submarine deal by the state controller and then exhaustively by the very legal fraternity that's been you know, making this witch hunt against Netanyahu for so many years and none of them were able to find anything at all because there was nothing untoward about the deal. And now, absurdly, still today, I mean, over the weekend, you had like 25 retired generals with their pot bellies, all wearing matching uh, uh, sweatshirts, hoodies, right? Calling for a, a new committee to investigate the submarine deal. And, you know, this is just, it's, it's complete, it's complete craziness. It's lunacy that they keep going after it and they keep going after it, but it just shows how driven to almost psychotic uh, outbursts uh, uh, they are every time that they think about what Netanyahu did to their power base, to their monopoly on deciding where money should be going, what forces in the IDF and elsewhere in Israel's security establishment uh, should be expanded and which should be ignored and starved. And since the Navy is something that, you know, you have a lot of vested interests opposed to, uh, you get this hysterical outrage, uh, outrage every time 
that is mentioned. And one of the principal people who was, who was suspected of wrongdoing of accepting bribes or whatever, is actually the guy, the admiral who was the head of Israel's Navy, because he had the temerity to agree with Netanyahu that the Navy ought to be a strategic force. One of the nasty things about these accusations are that uh, a lot of time Netanyahu's hands are tied in answering them because it all touches very basic issues of, uh, of uh, national security. And uh, he cannot comment about all the exonerating factors because some of them are secret, top secret, and they're using it. They're using this, this, this unfair advantage against him. But let me continue. So, yeah. so I, I call the, it's like the opening shot of this, uh, of this hunting season was in October, 2015, when an article was published in Haaretz, which is a left-wing newspaper, you all know him, you all know it, and by a guy named Gidi Weitz. And this article claimed that Netanyahu gave uh, regulatory favors to his friend Shaul Alovich, who is the owner of Bezek, the largest communication company in Israel, in return for favorable, favorable treatment, uh, favorable coverage, coverage in a kind of neg negligible uh, website, I should say, negligible. So. Marginal. Uh, I mean, very few uh, people read it, and it's not, and it's not at all influential. Yeah, it's it's Walla, which is kind of like the Yahoo of Israel, but uh, much less uh, important. And uh, it's uh, it has a website, it has a news department, and they claim that for some articles in Walla, Netanyahu was ready to give uh, favorable uh, to give regulatory favors to his friends worth billions of dollars. That was the claim. And uh, when an article is published in this newspaper, automatically all the investigating authority goes into full gear, including the state controller. You know, because because again, because Haaretz is basically like the New York Times or the or the Washington Post, so that they say something, and that's a newspaper that all of the elite, that the deep state, so, such as it is, all read, and they care about what it says, and so when they get an article in Walla say, or in uh, Haaret saying that uh, Netanyahu controls Walla or he got or he, he got favorable coverage for these uh, regulatory promises it doesn't matter that you know it's totally unsubstantiated they leap into action right and and we know that for a fact because the state controller mentioned in uh, half a year or uh, about half a year later in his first report or actually the further one a year and a half later that they started the investigation based on the report in Haaretz, so or, or in the media. So they have hundreds of workers, and they can control the the communication ministry day in and day out. But they don't come out from this, but they come out from the article in Haaretz, which is absurd, uh, absurd. Uh, so uh, they started they started to roll a process, which eventually some estimate cost Israel dozens of billions of shekels in delays of uh, fiber optics, uh, infrastructures, etc., cetera. Uh, the whole process stopped everything, the whole investigation. Because basically stopped. what this was about was laying fiber optic uh, um, uh, cables in throughout Israel, right? Not just in the metropolitan centers of Israel, but throughout the country. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very complex, but maybe we'll touch it later. But I just want to kind of give the overall view. So this was later on to become the 4,000 indictment, actually the later one between. Uh, in parallel, in uh, February 2016, we have a new 
attorney general coming in and a guy named uh, Abichai Mendelblit. And uh, he used to be the secretary of the government. Now he's the attorney general. And before that, he was the uh, judge advocate general of the IDF. So he's also tied in with the whole security establishment. Now, a posteriori, you know, in 2020 hindsight, we know that at the time he got into the job, he had kind of a, a skeleton in his closet. He had an affair from the 2010, which uh, basically exposed him to uh, prosecution for something he did while he was still in the army. And we know for a fact, he actually admitted it in a tape that was later on released by one of his foes, that uh, the chief prosecutor at the time, Shiny Tsang, is blackmailing him. He's holding him in his throat, according to what he said. And Shiny Tsang was very gung-ho about investing the prime minister. And he needed the attorney general agreement for that. Whether that has something to do with it, I will leave this to my, your imagination because I don't have a proof of that. But a lot of people think that there was connection between his agreement to investigate the prime minister or actually just overlooking investigations being made illegally uh, to the fact that he was uh, held at a gunpoint, uh, you know, figure of speech. <clears throat> so at the time, there are more than that. I mean, we're not going to go through your whole article, but basically, you also remind readers that in addition to the fact that Shiny Tsan, who is the chief prosecutor, the state prosecutor, and he's he's subordinate to the attorney general, but he also has independent functions like he can investigate the attorney general. Um, you had you had all of these not at all gentle pushes at Avichai Mandelblit by the head of the legal fraternity, which is the sort of the godfather of the legal fraternity, retired Supreme Court Chief Justice Aaron Barak. He and other colleagues all got together on more than one occasion and told the media or let it be known in other ways that they expected Avichai Mandelblit to investigate and indict Netanyahu now, without the there being any crimes. Yeah. One of the favorable methods of the police, and I guess this is kind of uh, happening everywhere, is they were looking into friends, you know, helpers, assistants of Netanyahu, finding all kinds of black spots in their past, and then bringing them to the investigation room and said, now you have this uh, impossible choice. Either you're going to be indicted for what you did, or you just give us Netanyahu. And, and the funny have- thing is, is that you don't have any, you don't have any examples uh, in Israel, and I dare say in most uh, liberal democracies, where you can cop a plea on one case by going state witness in a completely unrelated matter, right? I mean, usually, like if it's a drug deal, so they catch the pisher at the bottom, and then he squeals, he cops a deal, and he gets to go to one rung ab- above him, and so on and so forth. But it's all in the same chain of, of a crime. So it goes from the street up to the top to the drug kingpins in Colombia. Here, you have somebody who is accused of graft or whatever that has nothing to do with what whatsoever with Netanyahu. And they say, well, we're gonna put aside our suspicions or our investigation or the evidence that we've gotten together against you on this rap. If you totally unrelatedly uh, turn state witness against your former boss who had nothing to do with what you're being investigated against. This this kind of thing is just unheard of. And 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 now now again, 2020 hindsight, we have the 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 text of the investigations of these people, which we didn't have at the time. 
And they were actually, uh, it, it, the discussion went like this. You'd say, we don't know to tell you what Netanyahu did, but you worked with him closely for many years. So just tell us. We're not going to ask you a question. Just, you probably seen something illegal. Give a, I mean, it's a fishing expedition in the worst sense of the world. And, and that's what they did. That's how a guy named Ari Howe became a state witness two years later after they, they I don't know whether he did something wrong or not, but they, they definitely- They accused him of influence peddling while he was uh, the head of uh, Netanyahu's bureau. Uh, right, nothing to do with Netanyahu, but he was asked to give, and he gave them two tapes that they later used for the 2000 indictment. And, and that's how they created, also notice the numbering of the case. They created, first of all, something based on a bunch of gossip uh, called the 1000 investment, something about Netanyahu getting gifts which are really disposable gifts like cigars and champagnes from friends that were friends for many years. And they don't claim that he gave something in return, but they, and they don't claim that it was illegal to get the gifts, but they say potentially you could have given them something, so that's wrong. Yes, and, of course, it's not illegal to give gifts. And, right, and, and, and the question is the question is whether, um, and, and it, it's a question of whether they were too many, and then it's not a criminal offense. It's a uh, it's an it's a administrative infraction. And the power of the attorney general is to say you have to give them back. It's not to indict. So yeah. what he's actually being indicted on in the gifts is not accepting illegal gifts because there's no there's no felony that you can be indicted for. It's that he was a breach of trust. Breach of trust, which is kind of a basket felony which they can put on anybody at right. any time right <laughs> but notice the numbering and 1000 is the gifts thing 2000 is these tapes that they got from this guy Ari Howard 3000 was the submarine they failed they didn't find anything so that was scratched but it's still 3000 then 4000 they created for the for the regulatory favors in return for the coverage and they they wanted to create this notion with the public that there's 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, there'll be five and six and seven and eight. Here, Netanyahu, the big uh, corrupt person. And they sent research uh, investigators all over the world, all over the world. Uh, they invested, some estimated about quarter of a billion shekel, which is a huge amount. They never invested that much money in any politician in Israel. And yet they didn't find one shekel that stuck to his pocket. I mean, all the blame is that he got as bribery is favorable coverage, a world precedence to blame a politician for seeking good coverage. I mean, like which politician doesn't seek good coverage? This is like, you know, in my very brief political career, when I ran for Knesset with uh, two uh, con men, uh, Ayala Chaket and Naftali Bennett in, uh, in the first round of elections, you know, I can say, I, I was stunned. I was actually stunned to discover that literally the only thing that they cared about was coverage. I mean, that like their their lives revolved around um, what was said about them in the media, and yeah, that's exactly. and 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 like you know, and I say this as somebody who's been in, in journalism since two thousand, and it never occurred to me that this is the this is the obsession of of the politician that this is what he cares about more than anything else in the world and in a way it makes sense right i mean he wants to get the uh, he 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 wants to get the votes of the public and the way to get them is by being in the media and by getting good media so now it gets worse because in 2015 december 
two months after this article I mentioned, uh, a new chief police commissioner joins in. And he's a settler, which, you know, it's okay. Uh, you are and religious. I think, I, I think it's a compliment, in my opinion. But uh, I take it as well. <laughs> but of course, he becomes a target for the media. You know, here is this uh, religious settler become the chief of police. With a funny mustache. Yeah, and he's seeking good coverage as well. So he hires a, a media advisor uh, that uh, is advice to him is go after the prime minister. That will improve your image immediately. Again. Right, but there's one thing that you that you didn't mention in your chronology, which is, of course, that he himself got in trouble with the legal fraternity because he misrepresented um, an incident as a terrorist attack uh, that the police uh, shot somebody that they claimed was a terrorist, a Bedouin Israeli, and it, it worked out that he he was nothing of the sort and that it was at best a mistaken uh, shooting, that they, that they shouldn't have shot him, that he wasn't attacking them and that uh, he was innocent. And, um, and El Sheikh had gone on a limb and insisted that it was a terrorist attack. And then uh, Shai Nitsan closed the, the investigation of, of El Sheikh and of, and of the police that were involved in the shooting around the same time that El Sheikh hired uh, this anti-Netanyahu uh, media advisor so that everything, you know, it was all sort of happening around the same time, right? That his suddenly he found uh, 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 several fingers around his neck much as Mandelblit did. And um, he was responding to that as well. Plus, plus more, there were some uh, high ranks in the police, like the head of the main investigating unit, mm -hmm. which has kind of a black spot with uh, sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. And he was convinced that this sexual harassment was put on him by the prime minister, which is probably rubbish. And uh, so there was a lot of animosity in the police toward Netanyahu. And they invested tons of efforts. Today we found out, for example, just today in a testimonial that was held today in court, we found one of the chief investigators said that at any given time, hundreds, many hundreds of investigators out of a police unit, which was like a thousand plus, was uh, involved in the Netanyahu case, which is uh, total nonsense. And uh, we found out that the investigator don't even know the area that they're investigating. I mean, it's I the mean, media. It gets worse and worse. But again, all these things we know today, you have to understand at the time when it was published in big splash headlines, uh, nobody knew, everybody, you know, was thinking, maybe, you know, there's no smoke without fire. Maybe Netanyahu is corrupt. Maybe all they're saying is true. So in 2017, they invested tons of time in investigating all these. Some investigations were illegal. In Israel, there's a, one of the main laws says that you cannot investigate a prime minister without an attorney general approval. But uh, they did it without his approval. And then when, they, it, when it was brought in court, they said that the approval was given verbally. They don't have any documentation. And they lied about it, of course. Uh, everybody knows they're lying, but, uh, you know, this is the way it is. So 2018, we're jumping a year, a year forward. 2018 was a real turning point where they recruited three state witnesses. One of them is the guy I mentioned, Ari Hauer, and two others were very close to Netanyahu, a guy named Nir Hefetz and a guy named Shlomo Fielder. 
these two guys, you know, one of them was supposed to bring them the favorable coverage that Netanyahu got, and one of them was supposed to give them the regulatory side. And they, in 5th of March, they had three state witnesses, and everybody was sure that Netanyahu will retire. I mean, think about it. You get your three closest people sitting and singing in the cellars of the investigating unit, investigation unit, and who in his right mind will decide to stick with it? Only if you really feel you're innocent, which right. Netanyahu did. These so were his closest advisors, the head of his bureau, his, his uh, media advisor, it wasn't just his media advisor, he was a media advisor to his family. So he was, he was a, like a private guy, he wasn't just a state you know, employee. And then the third one was the director general of uh, the Ministry of, the Com of Communications. And he was also a very close advisor of Netanyahu for over a decade. So these okay. were the people that were his, you know, this was his closest hive of advisors and they were all prosecuted, they were all pursued uh, relentlessly by the media and by the legal fraternity to turn against Netanyahu. Now talking legal fraternity, three days later in 8th of March, 2018, a guy named Amnon Strashnov who is a very respectable ex prosecutor in the army came out with an article. He was a judge advocate general of the army as well, like Mandelblit in the 1980s. So, so he came up with an article in Ynet, which is the most popular website in Israel. Owned by, owned by, owned by the owner of Yediot Achronot, which is who has been indicted in one of Netanyahu's. Yeah, uh, he's a big, big, big uh, nemesis of Netanyahu. So this guy, Sprashenov, wrote an article that in which he said that if I was Avichai Mendelblit, I would call Netanyahu and tell him, look, I thought you were innocent, but now the testimonials, the, the evidence are mount, is mounting. Uh, you have three state witnesses ready to testify against you. It's time to, to hang your shoes and, and leave the office. That was the goal. That was what they tried to achieve. That Netanyahu will go quietly into the, you know, the wilderness and everybody will be happy again. And they won't have to go to trial. But he refused. He didn't. So they had to go to plan B. And plan B was a year later, 2019, actually started the end of 2018, which you have personal involvement in the at the time, <laughs> unfortunately. But uh, some say, you know, there's no real proof to that, but some say that uh, the split of the new, the new right movement with Bennett and Shaked, as well as Avigdor Lieberman, you know, surprising uh, uh, leaving of the coalition government, based on something, some flimsy reason about Gaza, was all a result of people saying Netanyahu is on his way out. He's going to be indicted, he's, he'll have to retire. We have to rearrange the forces for the new government and we're going to election. And that was the 2019 election, which is the clearest proof for a revolution that was executed here. How come? So the moment they announced the election, about the same week, actually, there was a forum that was convened in- What year, what, what week was it that the elections were called? It was uh, in- 26th of December. December. December 24, 26th of December, 2018. And it, the, 100 days later, it was supposed to happen. It happened in, in 9th of April, 2019. Right. So there was a period of 100 days of, of smearing. And in 2000, uh, in, in the same week that the elections were called, there was a forum in Kramim Hotel in Kiyat Anavim. And uh, in this forum of all the 
fraternity, you call them, it's a good name, all the ex-attorney generals and uh, Aaron Barak that used to be the chief justice, they all convened to discuss with the current attorney general whether it will be right to indict Netanyahu prior to the election, to publish something that's called, it's not really an indictment, it's a suspicion uh, writing that Netanyahu still has a right to, to, to ask for a hearing before. Right, so what, basically just to summarize, they got, this is like, you know, this is a cabal. I mean, this is literally an unapologetic cabal. They brought the sitting attorney general who was investigating the uh, prime minister in to meet his overseers in the cabal. They included uh, former chief justices, several former justices of the Supreme Court, his predecessors as attorney general. So all of the all of the uh, overlords of the legal fraternity, all of the godfathers, including the main godfather, Aaron Barak, they bring him into a forum. And it's all public. They're, like none of this is hidden, right? It's, it's not hidden at all. And they sit to discuss whether or not the sitting attorney general should or should not do two things. One is indict the prime minister. And the other one, like Moishik was saying, is this very strange concept in the middle of an election, mind you, of putting out a statement to the public of your intent, your intent based on suspicions to your hunch, basically, that you're going to indict the prime minister on. And so that uh, uh, statement of intent uh, was something that Avichai Mandelblit released how long before the elections? 40, 40 days. The, 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 40 days. The, the information we have from this meeting is that they told him he can release it, but not closer than 30 days. So it took a margin of uh, security and he did 40 days. Good for him. 40 days before the election, 50 pages of the worst thing that you can say about the prime minister that now we know they're all false. And by the way, none of this is legally binding, right? Because this statement of suspicions, you could just, you could write it and then you can say, okay, we'll take off that, we'll take off that, we'll take off that, we'll add this, we'll add this. So there's nothing here is final. It's not binding. He doesn't have to then answer for this to anybody because you can say, look, you know, this is what we had. It was our best guess. You know, this was well-intended, blah, 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 blah. And, it, and, and Netanyahu didn't have any opportunity to respond to any of this. So he's doing this as a campaign stunt, right? I mean, because there's no possible legal basis for any of it. It hasn't been checked. It hasn't been substantiated. The accused hasn't had a chance to defend himself. All you're coming out with are the suspicions. They haven't been submitted to a court. Now they're being submitted to the voters, to the court of public opinion a month out of the elections. Correct. And we, we, we like to divide this period of 100 days before the election was called and the election was executed to, to two periods, because until they released this, uh, this uh, pre-indictment thing, they, nobody but them have all the material of the investigation. So any leak to the paper has to come from them. Afterwards, they submit some materials to the defense lawyers. So they have this absurd claim that the defense lawyers are releasing information that is damaging their clients which everybody knows that it's, that it's not so just a, a false alibi that they employ in order to hide their own leakings. But uh, they, they, through these 100 days, you know, we are now in the 315 project are investigating this period and we're collecting all the data. And you'll be surprised to hear the results when you release them. It's amazing how much rubbish was released on Netanyahu during this time. So many lies, 
Uh, actually, on December 15, Nia Hefetz, one of the state witnesses, which became a defense witness, really, stood in court and said, I had all this material. I never gave it to any reporter. I say it under oath. So anything that came during this period had to come from the prosecution. And one of my friends, we both know him, he told me on a radio interview, Ernest Admo, he said, we, I was in the campaign at the time of the Likud. We didn't have to fight Kaholavan, which was the opposing party. We had to fight, fight the prosecution. They were our adversary. They were our rival. They did their best, so we will not be elected. And that's, of course, it's totally wrong. It shouldn't be like this in a democratic government. They should be, they, whether they should or should not de deliver this paper 40 days before the election, I think it's wrong, but it's at least debatable. But releasing all three days before the election, on the 6th of April, I published, I, I, I showed it on TV the other day. There was a leak from Mendelblit that uh, the 2000 indictment can lead to a long prison time. And that is published three days before the election. And with all this pressure, with all these illegal leaks, the right, without the party of Bennett and Shaquille, which didn't pass, without Lieberman, that was already ready to defect, in the election, the right got 60 mandates in the Knesset, which is half. One more mandate, and we would have four years of stable right-wing government and save all these unnecessary elections and possibly pass the corona better, possibly make more peace with Arab countries. The damages are just immense. And these illegal leaks, this is the, the, the biggest uh, example of uh, the revolution, the coup that happened here. So what right, happened? Well, I look forward to seeing that, but, one, but I do want to just jump forward to the 315 project because mm -hmm. what happened was, and then we had, you know, round after inconclusive round of, of, uh, of, um, of elections, we ended up with four of them. And in one of them, it was, so, uh, Mandelblit finally submitted the indictment, I think, between the second and the third election. Is that correct? Or between well, the, the, 28th and the of, 28th of February, uh, 28th of January, 2020, at the same time that Netanyahu was in the White House. Right. With the signing of the deal of the century. And the, the, the screen was split. On one hand, you saw Netanyahu with Trump in the White House possibly one of the biggest achievements, I hope you'll agree with me, of Israeli foreign policy ever, with, despite everything we learn right now. I think it could have turned out for the better. Well, particularly but, if we had a stable right-wing government. Exactly. But on the right side of the screen, you had Mendelblit smiling with glee that he is submitting an indictment against the prime minister. He couldn't wait till he comes back. I mean, this is like the utmost expression of contempt you can have from a public and of subversion and, 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 and of actual subversion of of uh, a foreign policy which is you know a form of treason but put that aside nobody's going to investigate him um you yeah. know the the uh the the real thing was that i mean the the aspect that i wanted to discuss here was the nature of the indictment that it was it right. was half baked that it wasn't actually oh, yeah. that it that it wasn't actually uh finalized and so they and, and it, by the way, they even didn't submit it to the court. They announced that they were submitting it, but then they didn't, and which was illegal. And I mean, there's all kinds of things that went on there that were illegal. But then um, usually on, you know, under normal circumstances, which this clearly is not, if, if, the excuse me, if the prosecutors submit an incorrect indictment, then the whole thing is thrown out. But here in Netanyahu's case, the judges 
told the prosecution, okay, um, there are a bunch of mistakes in this indictment, go and correct it and resubmit it, uh, right? It, 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 well, not exactly, they actually accepted it as is, but then they transferred it to the defense and then Corona started. We all, you know, when someone say that my, my paper that I wrote uh, to me die is a conspiracy, I said, you are the people that said that Netanyahu invented Corona, that it's all a spin of, of <laughs> Netanyahu in order to postpone his trial. <laughs> forget, these are the people who claim that we are conspirators. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Anyway, the process, so, so after the, the Corona postponed a few things, obviously, and then we came to December of 2020, when there was a discussion in court about a lot of claims from the defense about these, uh, these uh, irregularities in the indictment that was totally wrong. And then that's what gave us the opening. That was possibly the, the first biggest mistake because the court sent them to detail the cases of favorable coverage. And uh, the, originally they, they just say general claims, you know, you got favorable coverage. But the judges based on the defense request said, listen, we can't just de describe the forest. You have to describe the trees. You have to tell us it's a criminal case. You have to give us the exact cases. Where and when did you get favorable coverage? So what they did is they went through the role of the messages of the uh, CEO of Walla, this website. And every time he got a message, standard spokesman, standard press release from uh, Netanyahu's spokesman that says, uh, Netanyahu went to Japan. Please publish that he went to Japan. Same message that was sent to every other website in Israel. And he told them it was, uh, it is taken care of. They wrote it as favorable coverage. They didn't go to check whether it was published in all other websites. They didn't even go to check if it was published at all. Or and if it, it was published in a favorable way. Uh, yeah, or, or at all. You know, they, he, they told him here, I have a story about uh, our dog. You know, what, that's what spokesmen do. You know, they send all kinds of trivial stuff. So they didn't publish it, but the CEO told him it was taken care of. They say, favorable coverage, the story was published, but we went and checked and it was never published. Or he asked to remove something because it was falsehood. They said, okay, taken care of. They wrote down an item, favorable coverage. They removed the story, but the story is still there. And they never, today we found out they never went to check the website itself. They only based it on messages between people which were false. So that was that 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 final indictment with all these appendix was published on January 21. And, and just to give people a sense of just how insane this is, right? I mean, I, I I'm a columnist. And you know, every article that I write and I want to say something, I go to Google and I check to make sure that I got the story right, that I want to talk about, that I have the date right, that I that it's correct, because you don't want to just publish something that you remember, because your memory might not be correct. Even if you, you're absolutely certain, check, that's called being responsible. So right. here, that's what I do. That's what most people do. That's what competent journalists do for just a story. These people are indicting the prime minister of the state of Israel. And they didn't even do the minimal checks that a newspaper columnist writes for an article for one article in the newspaper. They were indicting the prime minister. They spent over 200, or they spent some 200 million shekels on this investigation. And they couldn't even do the minimum thing of actually looking up the article that they're claiming 
opposed or, or, or constituted an act of bribery on the part of this website owner towards Netanyahu in exchange for regulatory favors. I mean, I, I it, it's an amazing analogy. thing. It's an amazing I have an analogy thing. for you, Carly. I, I come from the business side. I took companies public. You know, if you write a, a prospectus and you make a mistake, forget a zero, change, put a wrong date or something, you can go to prison for that. And this is just money. Yeah, look at Katie Holmes, right? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's not life and death, it's just money. Here they are playing with life and death of people and they're making these absurd mistakes and nobody holds them accountable for this. So, so the trial started in April and we come back to the beginning of the story and uh, uh, my friend calls me and we start, we arrange a team of 50 volunteers at first. Now we How have many? 50 at first. And uh, then it grew to a hundred and we have another hundred on waiting list. And uh, all people from all uh, areas of the country that just want to help. They are lawyers, free professionals, you know, workers in factories. They all know how to go to website and check them. I mean, you don't have to be a legal scholar to do that. Or even a, or even a newspaper columnist. <laughs> right. You just have to know how to read. You know, my kids do it and they're, you know, they're in elementary school. Right, so we built a template for them and we send them on their way. Each one got like seven items to check. And I, then I took back the data, consolidated it, uh, charted it. And, uh, you know, we started to publish it. Uh, and then uh, came the idea, you know, the, the question was, how do you make it accessible to the public? So we came, with, I came up with the idea to make uh, short videos. I'm sure you saw some, some of yeah, them. Yeah, they're great. And uh, we just explained in two to four minutes uh, different items and how ridiculous they are. And we get, uh, you know, one of the most sobering experiences I had was in the last demonstration, which held in Tel Aviv, uh, Adi, Adi, Dr. Adi Saba, which is, uh, you know, became a dear friend. They all became dear friends by now. Uh, you know, I went out with her through the public, you know, just uh, going around to look at the public. And people are approaching us, you know, with tears in their eyes and they're telling us, you know, you saved us. You basically saved our respect because we felt like nobody listened. We knew that it was wrong, but we didn't know the facts and you are presenting to us the facts. And now suddenly we have our pride again. And, and you know, it's, it's like an amazing spirit. I never sensed it. I was never a celeb, I, I, I wasn't, but uh, you were. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it's really a weird feeling. And, uh, and you feel like you're really touching people. The responses are, are amazing. So we didn't stop there. We started with the 315. That was the first thing. But Wait, I want to stop for a second and just, just say to people, you know, a lot of times, you know, it seems like, uh, oh, what are these, what are you Israelis doing? You know, you have people like Carolyn and other people, you know, they talk a good game, but look, Netanyahu is out of power and, and, the, and the legal fraternity is in power and they're expanding their power. And we'll talk a little bit about the, the, the government that we have now in a bit. But I think, you know, that the 315 project, the one that uh, Moishik and, and his colleagues- uh, I should mention the name, uh, yeah. if you, uh, Guy Levy, who's the guy who started it all, the real Dynamo, mm -hmm. Dynamo. And uh, I was the second one. Then there was Dr. Adi Sabo, which is uh, a real, real wonderful person. And uh, Moshe Malad, who is also from high tech. These are the founding, founding team. 
but and yes, thank you. And and the point is that this is this they are a testament. They and the hundreds of, of volunteers and would be volunteers in Project Three Fifteen that you know, Israelis are not, you know, lying down and letting this happen. And they're looking for opportunities to have their voices heard and to make a difference. I think one of the things that's so important about 315, it, obviously the most important thing is that they put paid the entire concept of Netanyahu receiving any favorable coverage from this very minor website, Walla. Um, but also that they showed that this is, you know, Netanyahu had nothing to do with their initiative. The Likud had nothing to do with their initiatives. It's just normal Israelis who say, we want our democracy back. You guys lied. And here we're going to prove that it was a lie. And, and everything that we've experienced politically over the past four years has been based on a conspiracy to overthrow the prime minister of Israel because he was against all of these inbred elites that are much more, you know, nepotism based than meritocracy based at this point in Israel. And uh, we're tired of it. And we want to have our elected leader back. We want to reelect him and we want and we want a government that represents us. And I think it's a real testament to to the passion and to the commitment that just, you know, Israeli citizens, the citizenry of Israel has for the country and for 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 our democracy and for our freedom. So I, you know, hats off, hats off to all of you. And we're not the only one. We're not the only one. There are yeah. other initiatives as well. That especially one I should mention is there's a lawyer named Kinered Barashi. Oh yeah. She, together with the, the reporter Elitzi Pori, and uh, an ex police uh, superintendent called uh, Avi Weiss, uh, they they started another venture which is called the Open Studio. Since they don't, despite Netanyahu's request, they didn't agree to let the court the court hearings be public. So it won't be. They wanted to broadcast it on TV, so everybody can see. Netanyahu said, "I have nothing to hide. Just broadcast the discussion." They didn't want to. So Elisi Pori, the reporter, is sitting inside the court. He is uh, sending text messages to Kinere to sit in a studio, and she just sits there all day and reads it to the listen to the to the public in video. And uh, I had the privilege to be joined in as one of the commentators as well, because I brought the knowledge of the 315. And other prominent lawyers have joined too. And we come, you know, we spelt on the program uh, and give commentary. And this is being watched by tens of thousands of people. You know, people are watching it live during the day on the three days of the week where there's a hearing. And if I have one flimsy hope that there will justice will be done and it will be acquitted, you know. I'm not uh, super optimistic because I know how the courts are working. It's a zero-sum game by now. You know, if he gets equipped and somebody else has to be convicted, then they know it on the other side. But uh, uh, the flimsy optimism I have is from the fact that for once, for once, the judges in the case know that they're being watched, which is yes. usually not the case. Usually, the media gives them the coverage. And they're telling lies and they're tying, telling lies this time, but it just makes them more ridiculous because everybody listening to the actual text, we published all the protocols in our website that we built for the 315 projects. Elie is providing a summary every morning of what happens in the case, you know, that people can understand and read. All these initiatives are just precious to save democracy. And it doesn't matter whether you're for Netanyahu or not. 
if you don't like Netanyahu, don't vote for him, but don't let the judicial system put the heavy hand on the scales and change the democratic process. It's impossible. So I want to I want to just move forward. So first of all, tell us what what the initiative you're working on now is, and then I just want to move to the present so that you know we can. Yeah, so we work on several. There'll be a couple of surprises this week. I don't want to spare this week, couple of weeks. Don't want to spoil them, but they're going. We, we're trying to make a real splash, and I think by now everybody that wants to know and watched our movies and went to our website knows that the area of favorable coverage is is non-existent. That on the contrary, his rivals got favorable coverage, and he got terrible coverage. You know, the same guy that they said that he that he that he helped Netanyahu with favorable coverage. The lawyers exposed messages between him and the current president of Israel, which used to be the head of the Labour Party in 2015, and which this CEO tells the then candidate Herzog, just call me 10 times a day. I'll do everything so you will win. Right. And that, that's that's a website owner or CEO. So it's precious. And then the other aspect of it, of course, is the regulatory side that Netanyahu yeah. really. I mean, they brought in the the the, the deposed uh, the the fired director general of the communications ministry. Works out that he was completely incompetent, um, and uh, that's why he was he was fired. And Shlomo Filbert, uh, Netanyahu's close associate, was was appointed in his place. But he also he was supposed to be the star witness. We've had now we're on their ninth witness for the prosecution. All nine of them. We're supposed to be the top witnesses for the prosecution. All of them have strengthened the defense's case. All of them have shattered the prosecution's case. And Avi Berger, uh, the fired director general of the communications ministry, he was supposedly the whistleblower that was saying, oh, these were the regulatory breaks that Netanyahu gave to his crony who owned- By the way, I beg to differ. He was very competent in delaying and sabotaging. That he was very competent in. But uh, yeah, it, it, it was a real farce when he came on court, you know, and they said, you know, he actually, you know, Netanyahu became the communication minister and he didn't fire him for six months. You know, most people said that he fired him on his first day, but he kept working for six months. Then they said that Netanyahu sent somebody to supervise him. And the, the other state witness said, supervise? The guy was totally put aside. He had no word in the office. He was like a a plant in the office. Nobody was even counting. So the whole thing is like such a shame. And, uh, you know, we have in our website, we we covered all these uh, supposedly regulatory uh, coverage. Anybody who can read Hebrew, by the way, considering of translating a website to English, that's uh, one of the projects we want to do. Uh, you know, it's always a trade cost benefit thing, but uh, we think of doing it. And and we are, you know, if I want one message, I think, Carolyn, it's time to move into offense. That's what I try to relate also uh, in the theory. We've been on defense all the time. Erel Segal compared it to, you know, we see a guy on the inquisition on the, on the how do you call it, the torturing wheel where, where you rotate him. And we're standing there and we're looking, we're saying, oh, this, this, this tooth is too sharp or they're moving it too fast. Maybe they should move it a little slower instead of asking, what the hell are you doing? Why is he on a wheel at all? The guy that Netanyahu brought Israel to the most major achievement. And now we see that all these worms were sabotaging under him in the worst sense of the words, 400 investigators, not knowing about what they're investigating. 
making such false indictments. Yeah, I'll just say one last thing about today's witness, because it was interesting. They had the chief, the chief investigator from the police that was in charge of the uh, bribery investigation, case 4000. And so and Netanyahu was originally supposed to be indicted for receiving positive coverage in exchange for these regulatory benefits. But in the end, they had to change what he received and what they claimed that he received was, uh, you know, uh, um, sort Except, of uh, exceptional uh, acceptance or uh, right exceptional like. Uh, they they were more willing to listen to his requests than they are to other people's. Okay, I mean it's it's like a joke, right? But so so Netanyahu's lawyer was cross examining this police investigator. He says to him, "So, but were you nego were you investigating uh, for him receiving um, extraordinary uh, uh, response, uh, largesse or responsiveness? Yes, uh, uh, unusual responsiveness on the part of the website uh, uh, editors and and leadership uh, for his requests." And he said, no, I, I was investigating whether he he received uh, positive coverage. Y you never were investigating whether he was uh, receiving uh, extraordinary uh, um, compliance or, you know, uh, whatever. And, and he said, no, never, never. The term never was raised. Because and so data, it wasn't favorable. So they had to change it. Right. So they change it. But the point is that Netanyahu was never actually investigated for what he allegedly Right. received. And so he didn't have a chance to defend himself towards the investigators for receiving allegedly what he received. So that this is all like a, it's, it's like a joke on top of a joke on top of a joke on top of a tragedy on top well, of a coup, you know? They asked him, they asked him, you are investigating a, a media, media case. Do you know what the meaning in media of follow-up or lineup? He says, no, I'm not familiar with these terms. This is the, he says, we learned it from the witness. <laughs> Investigators learning it from the witness. I mean, and they asked him, do you, did you do any comparison to other websites or to check the percentage of coverage? He said, no, no, we didn't feel like we needed to. They said, do you know what if art is? If art is, you know what if art. If art is an organization is where the most, the most uh, popular organization that in, that basically investigates uh, or... Uh, no, they enumerate the coverage of the day so that they summarize ah. everything and they send it out to all the top officers. So when I was in the army, when I was serving in the general staff, all the generals and the general staff got the press clippings from Ifat every morning. The newspapers all get the clippings from Ifat so that they know what all of the other newspapers covered, et cetera. So it's more for professionals, for national leadership. They receive it because the, because the, the uh, subscription for Ifat coverage is, uh, is expensive. So you don't, you know, most, most Israelis might not even have heard of Ifat, but everybody who's anybody in the Israeli uh, power structure knows exactly what Ifat is. So this investigator was asked, do you know what Ifat is by Benzo and by the lawyer? And he said, are they doing translations? Right. So, I mean, just imagine, guys, if you if, if somebody is investigating the mafia and and he never and doesn't know anything about how a crime family operates, you know, he doesn't know anything about how a drug cartel operates. He doesn't know anything about how money is laundered. Right. I mean, it's the same idea that if you're going to try to criminalize journalism and say that journalism is, you know, an inherently criminal enterprise because positive coverage is a form of bribery. And you don't know anything about journalism, then how are you going to, you know, do that? And in fact, in a way, it makes sense because the charges that Netanyahu is being 
uh, has been indicted for are imaginary. The crime that he allegedly committed, the form of bribery, the definition is imaginary. It doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. It doesn't exist in Israel. It doesn't exist in the Israeli statute. So if everything is an imaginary crime and an imaginary bribe and an imaginary everything, then you don't actually need to understand anything. You just make it up as you go along and you and you go along to get along. And nobody in the legal fraternity, probably including the district court judges that are in charge of, you know, adjudicating this trial, are ever going to say that you're wrong because they're all part of a system that's corrupt from, from, from the outset. And here I just want to, you know, end with talking about where we are now. Because one more, one more okay. answer, may Colin. Sure. Uh, the media, we, we shouldn't neglect the media because they have a big part of this. If they did their job, if they did what we did, we wouldn't have to do it because that's their job to, to, to look at the indictment and not accept it like it was, you know, Torah Messinai. But actually, the media here were actors in it. I mean, they yeah, were accomplices to this crime of, of, of putting forward this imaginary indictment of the prime minister, putting Israel through four years of a fake investigation of the prime minister. So they I mean, to the states because that's what happened with Russiagate. You know that. I mean, they, right. they popped up this, this fake, fake allegations about Russia and all the media, Russia, 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 and Russia. And in fact, as you said, this all originated with the media, with a fake claim in the Giddy White's article in Haaretz about uh, uh, Netanyahu receiving nice coverage from Walla after the 2015 election. So that this was this was an operation that from the outset was a combined operation of the media and the legal fraternity. And it was in order to protect the power of both of them against the prime minister that both of them feared because Netanyahu wanted to open up the media market to more competition. Obviously he didn't want to close Israel Hayom. Um, and he wanted, uh, at least theoretically, because he never actually did anything, which makes it all the more pathetic. Uh, he wanted to appoint judges and, and an attorney general and legal advisors to the government ministry that weren't hyper activists and uh, that were arrogating executive and legislative powers to themselves without any legal basis. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so, so can we go on for a second to the future? I mean, to the present, yeah. because I think it's important because here we are now, Netanyahu is out of power and these people are in power. And one of the things that's really notable to me about everything that's happened is how afraid they are of losing it. And in order not to lose it, we have a justice minister, Giron Tsar, who himself has some you know, fingers around his neck because of allegations of statutory rape and, and, uh, and, uh, and um, sexual, sexual uh, harassment of his underlings while he was education minister uh, back in 2012, 2013. Uh, in, in Netanyahu's, uh, one of Netanyahu's governments. And so um, he he also allegedly has a number of fingers or, or is suspected of having a number of fingers, you know, very tightly around his, you know, snugly around his neck. Um, and so he is, uh, as justice minister, he blocked, by the way, Netanyahu from forming a government because he has a six member Knesset coalition uh, and he was the reason why Netanyahu, even though there are 65 vote, uh, members of Knesset that are aligned with the right wing, he couldn't form a government because Gidon Tsar refused to join a Netanyahu-led government. So he sort of instigated this left-wing government by refusing to join uh, a Netanyahu-led government. At any rate, so uh, Gidon Tsar is now justice minister. 
And he used to pretend that he was opposed to the legal fraternity and that he was fighting the legal fraternity. But as justice minister, he is advancing some pretty amazing bills. Uh, one is uh, to give the uh, legal uh, fraternity, the attorney general, the right to censor opinions, to censor uh, uh, articles, uh, social media, of anybody he wants to basically, ba you know, based on what he thinks is right and wrong with no, with no hearing, with no- Hurting people's feeling, hurting people's feeling. If you heard, if I heard his feeling by saying that he's a terrible attorney and that he, and that he, and that he cooked up these uh, indictments, he can say my, my feelings were hurt and Glick has to come off of Facebook, right? I mean, that's, that, that it gives incredible power of censorship to the legal fraternity. So not only do they get to criminalize everything, but they can prevent us from even talking about it. They can bring down uh, Project 315's website because they can say, well, you know, our feelings were hurt because they were saying that we weren't good at our jobs, yeah. right? So so these, this is one of the draconian uh, bills that he's putting forward and he's doing it in order to protect, one? but wait, can he's I doing it in order to protect children. It's all about the children, right? Oh, okay. It's all about the children. Second one, the second one goes totally against, you know, these are two trains running into each other. We, we proved that this indictment was totally false. And now they want to come out with a law that if a person is indicted, he cannot be a prime minister. If you're under indictment, you cannot, you cannot form a government. You Not convicted, mind you, indicted. indicted. Now that we know that indictments can look the way this indictment looks, we are absolutely sure that this bill is totally wrong. And I think one of the things that we help is not only Netanyahu, but maybe, maybe it's going to help fighting this bill. Because well, I hope so. we prove that this indictment is, is totally false, uh, people will, hopefully more people will understand that uh, uh, precluding somebody from becoming a prime minister based on such indictment is total fallacy. So and we have to, we have to, write, you know, we, we have to, we have to end, end the show, unfortunately, because I could talk to you for another hour. But, but yeah. I want to ask you, you know, uh, it, it's a very, it's a very, it's a very depressing time in Israel. It's very frustrating when we look, and the more that we learn about just how unlawful this. Uh, persecution of the prime minister was, just how lawless the prosecution has been, and just how 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 horrific the police investigators have hounded, how, how horrifically they've been hounding uh, the, the witnesses, and they've gotten nothing, and there's nothing there. There's no there there. And here we are, after we've been on this roller coaster ride of absolute political instability, and this is all the while, as you know, we talk about in other episodes of this show, the security threats against Israel are just mounting higher and higher every day. And we have this incompetent government that's mainly concerned about blocking the majority of Israelis from ever being able to elect their nemesis, but Benjamin Netanyahu again. So is there any reason for to be optimistic now at this dark hour in our history? I was expecting this question. <laughs> I try to be optimistic because I believe in the spirit of the people really. Uh, I, I get so many, so many good responses. So many people are writing that they now saw the truth. Uh, I think uh, Netanyahu was so much uh, uh, blackened by the media. 
he became such an object of unbased, uh, illogical hatred that I think we needed a correction. Just like in the stock market, when it goes high too much, you have to correct, there must be a correction. This is a correction. And after the correction, there'll be new growth because a lot of people now understand that uh, the good yield of Netanyahu is not a given. It's not something that will always be. And I published a, a kind of a funny tweet today, not that I made it, I said, I'm for a plea bargain. All the accusations against Netanyahu will be canceled and in return, he will agree to come back and be a leader and fix everything that they screwed up in six <laughs> months. <laughs> this is the only plea bargain that I'll get. And I think many people would take this now. They say, you know, we thought Netanyahu is a villain, but now we see from what the work you did, that is not the work we did in 315, he's not such a villain. And we can see that other people can do much worse for Israel than he did. So, uh, you know, we may see, we, as Churchill said, you know, we may not be at the end, we may not be even the beginning of the end, but maybe it's the end of the beginning. I think, I think you may be right. And, and one thing that you do see is that the sun always rises, right? I mean, you, 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 you think that things are, time passes and with each passing day, now we're on the ninth witness. You know, I wrote a piece about the trial while Nir Hefetz was on the stand, still being under direct questioning of the prosecution, right? And I wrote back then before Netanyahu's attorneys even had a chance to cross-examine him that he was the eighth witness for the prosecution who had made the case for the defense. Nice. And now we're on the ninth witness for the prosecution that is making the, the, the uh, case for the defense. And, and the point is that, you know, there's this, it's just churning on and on and on and on and on. And in a way, not having Netanyahu in power while all of this is happening is probably a blessing in a, because the government that was able to form because of this is so terrible. <laughs> They're so incompetent, aside from everything else. I mean, they're radical. They've given the negative to the to, to the Muslim Brotherhood. I mean, all kinds of things, right? But they're just so incompetent with the Carol, corona that, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe this is the course. Carol, I, I just finished reading Peggy Newland's book about Reagan. I know it's an old book, but it was just translated to Hebrew. So I read it in Hebrew. It's easier for me. And, uh, and uh, you know, Reagan came after Carter. Right. It was terrible, right, in Carter's time. And we know what happened in the eight years of Reagan. In 1987, 86, nobody thought the Soviet Union will fall. You know, history is full with points of discontinuity. So let's be optimistic and work no, I think you're right. And I think that, and I, and I want to thank you, Moishek, and all of the people who work with you, Guy Levy and Adi uh, Asa. And, Adi, Sabo, Adi Sabo and Moshe Malan. Right, and that they, I mean, this is, they do so embody, you know, the spirit of Israel in terms of volunteerism, in terms of caring, in terms of getting involved and not giving up on this country. And I think that, you know, for so many people, seeing how effective your project, Project 315 has been, and, and the incredible work that you're doing, laying out the truth in a way that people can understand um, I think it's a testament also to the spirit of the Israeli people, and I and I think that it is a source of hope. I think um, I think that the main thing that distinguishes between 
real leaders and fake leaders, since we all use the word fake all the time, is that real leaders really are representatives of the people and the people know it. And the fake leaders speak about the public, but they really don't care about it. And they certainly don't represent it or its interests. And over time, we get that as well. And so, you know, I think I think this is the spirit of democracy and you guys really do embody it with your work. So I thank you and all of you guys, I think you should come away with renewed hope in the people of Israel from this program with my good friend, Moshe Kowarski, who really is a hero and as are his colleagues in uh, 315. And uh, we'll join you again uh, soon. We'll have you back on, uh, hopefully in the future in the in this program so that you can talk about the new things that you're exposing about all of the fraudulence and Netanyahu's indictment. And in the meantime, I'll be back with you guys next week for another episode of the News Hour. Remember to subscribe, remember to share, remember to post on your social media. Let's get the word out so that people can hear the truth about Israel and about the issues of the day here in the Middle East. Thank you so much, and we'll see you again next week. Thank you, Thanks, Moshik. Thank you.